Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Angie, Estimate Rocket, and Paint Supply. Welcome to the Women in Paint podcast. Amy, I see you over there dancing. Uh, I am the host, Michael Cheney. I am also the owner of No Drip Painting, where we are changing lives through paint. And I have a good friend on with me today, so I'm super pumped about this episode. Amy Flowers, she's an associate Ice Miller Law Firm, and she's also an Iron Man. And I don't want to embarrass you, Amy. Uh, so we'll see if we can get into the Iron Man talk later. But thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thank you so much. I am excited to to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So you know, there's a few things that you've taught me, uh, and I'm not talking about anything basketball skill related. But what you have taught me in terms of the legal world is that sometimes it's best to just be prepared. Uh, and so I wanted to see if we could kind of open today's show by talking to me about from your your viewpoint, why would a small business owner like me, someone in the paint industry, why would it be beneficial to maybe consider getting a relationship started early on with a law firm? Um, so perfect, great question. Um, and, and before I answer, let me just give a disclaimer that I'm not giving any legal advice. Um, and, and so I wanna just put that out there. Um, but Generally speaking, I think that folks, um, whether small business or, or otherwise, think that getting a law firm involved or being involved with a lawyer has to be sort of like a bad thing or it's it's once, you know, there's there's a lawsuit or there's some sort of contentious interaction that you're having either with a, a client or, or an employee. But actually getting a law firm or getting legal advice on the front end can prevent costly issues later. Um, and I think just some basic ways, uh, especially in, in the painting industry, right, would to ensure that you have that you have a contract, right? Um, probably a lot of folks that are in this industry that that kind of just wheel and deal over email or kind of just use quotes and, and um, you know, provide invoices at the at the close of the work that they do. But actually having a contract in place um, with those clients, with those subcontractors, having um, agreements in place or, or um contracts in place with your employees, uh, just kind of protecting those relationships for both the business and for the folks that you are doing business with or, or that you're employing. Um, it's just a nice way of framing what the relationship looks like. So everyone kind of has an idea uh, of, of what everyone's obligations are. Um, and then if something does happen, you've got that, that paper uh, to rely on later in the relationship should it become contentious. Um, and there are a lot of provisions and terms that you can put in those contracts that will protect you as a small business owner uh, and later. And so putting those, putting that paper together, putting those contracts together can, can be relatively cheap in the grand scheme of things, right? I think that folks think lawyers are also expensive and for the most mm -hmm. part they can be, but if you're doing those preventative measures, then you aren't paying an attorney later to, to litigate a lawsuit for you, something that you can probably avoid. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely say that I was under the assumption that even 
maybe creating some, what I'll throw, I'll say simple documents. Uh, now, you know, I, I've had a history of creating my own documents and I'm now getting out of that. Um, so they are relatively simple, especially for folks like you that, that know the appropriate uh, legal terms to use. But what, uh, you know, what's the importance of having a contract? Because like you mentioned, in our world, sometimes you get stuck in these agreements that are just verbal. And that's, you know, probably not the best way to go if something were to happen. How, like, detailed do these contracts need to be for someone like me who's, who's in the painting business and, you know, for mostly working with homeowners? How, how detailed does something like that need to be? And I think, you know, and, and we'll just say, you know, you mentioned verbal agreements and we know that there are verbal contracts and, and that those can be enforceable, but those are really difficult to enforce only because you're, you're in a position of trying to recall what was said and then, uh, you know, asserting your position versus someone kind of just countering that and saying that's not what was said. And so while verbal agreements are OK to kind of get the ball rolling, obviously to, to have something in writing later to rely upon just because memory sometimes is bad, right? Um, not that anyone's trying to be, you know, um, slight the other person, but, you know, maybe just, you know, as we get older, we can't remember everything as well. Um, <clears throat> but it's, you know, the the documents can be simple. Um, and like I said, it, it, it allows those protections that you can later rely on. And so there, there are certain terms that, you know, should you find yourself in litigation, courts are looking for, uh, for them to be able to kind of side with you in terms of whether or not there was consideration right? Did each side give something up in, the, in this process in terms of creating the contract? So there are just basic elements of contractual enforcement that we would want to look to. And, you know, you say, you know, there's nothing wrong with somebody wanting to, de to develop their own contracts or to develop uh, their own, you know, written agreements. It, it, it just typically, you know, we each have our respective industries, right? You know, I, I wouldn't necessarily think um, I'm a good painter. I wouldn't show up at no drip painting think that I thinking that I know uh, how to paint. You obviously have over time developed that business, your craft, the folks that, that work for you, training those folks to be proficient in that industry. Lawyers are the same way, right? Sure. Could you go on Google and, and, and try and find a contract and cobble it together yourself? Absolutely. Would that save you some money? Sure, maybe. Um, but, you know, lawyers are trained to think about think through the propositions of what your industry might might present later, right? Like I, I now know working with you, Michael, what happens in the painting industry, kind of what the standards are. And then we try to work within that environment to, to create language um, and to create contracts that works um, for, for, for both contractors, subs and employees, et cetera. Um, and from an attorney's perspective, when a client comes to us, small business or otherwise, we are able to use the institutional knowledge that we have, right? Like I can say to you, maybe you have an experience situation A, but we had a client who did, and here's how we built preventing that you know, issue for them in the future and put that into their contract. So attorneys have all these horror stories that we can use to then help um, you know, other clients, future clients try to avoid those those situations. And and same is true, right, Michael, if you have an experience, uh, you know, within your industry, you can say, hey, Amy, this happened to us um, as you've done, right? This happened to us, you know, with an employee or with a, or with a customer. How do we prevent that in the future? Okay. So then we can we can look at that problem and then we can help you develop, um, you know, and, and add that into to protect you. I mean, that's what contracts are. They're, okay. they're to have an understanding between the entities, but also just to, as a protection, 
Um, so of course, yes, it lays out what the scope of work is and, and what the compensation is, which is where a lot of folks really hone and focus, but there's a lot of other things going on outside that can, that can impact, um, you know, the, that arrangement. Very good. Can I answer what? your questions? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, this is great. You're, you're right on target there with, I think, what. Do you want me to tell my pain like, story when I did well, show hold up? Hold on. Go? You know, if we have time at the end of the show, I, mean, I don't know if we really want to reflect that on you or me. You right have, you, I think your hiring practices have improved uh, since uh, I was last at uh, No Drip. I, I would say so, um, or at least I hope so. Um, speaking of contracts, at what point should a small business have a non-compete and what does the non-compete actually do? Yeah. So, and, and we'll keep using obviously painting as the example, right? Um, to have a non-compete, non-compete, non-solicit, and typically a confidentiality is kind of the trifecta of an agreement um, or those, those strong provisions that we encourage employers to have with their employees. You know, when you work in an industry and certainly in a community that can be small, um, you know, I don't know how big or how small the painting industry is. I imagine there's probably, you know, different pockets, right? Um, and so if you have a smaller industry and you have an employee and that employee goes out, um, you know, you've, well, let me back up. You have an employee, you've put a lot of resources, time, effort into training this person to be a great painter. Um, and then for whatever reason, they, they decide to leave. Well, you don't want that employee to take all of the resources and time and effort that you've put in and then have that employee go and work for a competitor. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just it's unfair. Right. Um, and so in that sort of simple version, you would want to protect against that employee taking all of your good work and goodwill to to your competitor only to take business from you potentially. Right. So you, you have these non-compete clauses and they have to be limited in nature. This can't be, you know, you can't keep someone from working necessarily, but you can keep them from working for say a year uh, for a competitor that's within, you know, 10, 15 mile radius of, of your business, right? It's not to keep them from working, but it's to keep them from unfairly competing with you um, as, as they were once your employee and, and um, based on the resources and et cetera that you have put into that person. Um, and so, and that's for employees only, right? That doesn't necessarily, I'm not discussing 1099 or independent contractors, but that way you, you're protecting your business and your investment, right? You, that employee is an investment. Um, and so that's, that's one of the reasons why, why it's really important in terms of the non-competition. Um, similarly, you know, a confidentiality clause, you don't want them to take um, all of the information, say that you have a very structured, um, you know, quoting or pricing or whatever your system uh, is, you know, some of that confidential, you know, trade, trade secret information, you don't want them taking that to your competitor um, as well, or to another business and, and using what they've learned at your company and, and instituting it into another company. And then non-solicitation is, is similar to the non-compete. You don't want them uh, taking your customers um, and or taking your employees as well. So again, it just protects the company, um, you know, in the future in terms of um, not, not, not losing business or losing employees. Right. So as you know, I learned this the hard way this year and I'll quickly share my story. Uh, but essentially I did not have a non-compete or really any of these documents in place that you mentioned, uh, the confidentiality clause or the non-soliciting. And, you know, I kind of operate, I guess, from this old school mentality of the T word, trust. 
And that came back to bite me hard. And, and what I realized by going through this process that I'll share about is that my job as a business owner is to protect the business, right? Um, not to necessarily always operate from the heart or, or these other uh, ways that don't really serve the business in the end. And so I had an employee, we had, um, we kind of came head to head on some differences in values. Uh, the values of the business did not match up with his values. And he left the business, which, which was the great thing uh, that, that the business was able to stand strong in our values. And he decided to go a different direction. But when he went that different direction, he kind of used some of our values uh, as a weapon against us and went to our top clients who just so happened to be repeat clients because of the type of work we do. Uh, and he went to those clients and said, uh, you know, basically kind of threw no drip paint under the bus and said, but you can come with me to my new company. And he took some of those clients, unfortunately, and he used our pricing and then um, was also in the process of starting to try to take our team members. Our team members said no, but this ended up, you know, being a huge detriment to my business because this was an estimator that sold $1.5 million last year. So needless to say, I have a non-compete agreement in place. And again, the purpose is to protect the business. But, you know, I mean, I, I'm going to say that I learned the hard way. And uh, but thankfully, I've gotten some of those things in place now. Um, with with the story I tell, and I know that, that you already have known this because you helped me put the non-compete together, is there anything else that you'd like to say uh, kind of with this real life example of what I've gone through in the last year? Yeah, and, and Michael, I know when, when we did discuss that situation, um, and I guess that's kind of what I'm talking about, right, is that we do have clients who have these sort of horrific stories, and then it's in that moment that they realize, what can what can I do in this present situation? Um, and sometimes the, the answer is nothing um, because mm -hmm. you just don't have those protections in place. And, you know, you are one of many people, um, right. Or many businesses is that's, you know, I, I, I think that sometimes folks feel silly. Like I can't believe I didn't have, you know, that in place. Don't feel silly. It You do. I, like you said, you, you, you work in an industry where, or, or your, your business has been built on trust and there's nothing wrong with that. But as businesses start to grow and as you start to encounter more people, more employees, more clients, more customers, um, you know, you do encounter people who aren't worth the trust. Right. And so you do have to have those those um, mechanisms in place to, to protect the business. And so the best thing that you can do and you did is that when that happens to you. You reach out to an attorney um, and, you know, get get those protections in place. OK, you burn me once. You know, that happens. It's a learning experience. I'm going to protect the business in the future. And sometimes it takes that experience before you uh -huh. really I can sit here and tell you until I'm blue in the face that if you don't have those agreements in place, you should reach out to an attorney and get those agreements in place. But until it truly happens to you and you feel that impact, um, you know, whether it's, you know, just, you know, the deceit. Um, the betrayal, et cetera, whatever those, whatever those feelings are, then you're like, I gotta, I gotta make sure this never happens again. Yeah. Um, and so, but that, that is what happens. And so, you know, for instance, um, we had a contractor here at our house uh, doing a couple of projects for us. They're pretty big pro projects for him um, and his company. He's, a, he's just, just him. It's one person. Um, he, you know, he did an incredible job. I won't say uh, his name um, only because I don't want him to feel silly for not having uh, any agreements in place, but he too doesn't have anything uh, in place. In fact, you know, uh, my girlfriend and I are both attorneys and 
when he was coming to do the work, I said, okay, do you have a contract that you want us to sign? And he responded, you know, no, no contract. I, I don't, you know, I, I'm going to come do the work and you know, that's, that's kind of it. And his response to me was that, and it was more an elaborate response. I think he thought that I, we were concerned that he was going to screw us over. And in fact, we weren't, we just wanted to make sure that everybody understood, you know, the parameters of the arrangement and we're attorneys and we're so just like, <laughs> that's our, our sort of tunnel vision on those engagements that there should be a contract. And so, you know, it opened up this conversation that I got to have with him and, you know, he was, you know, he was leaving, he'd finished the projects and did a wonderful job. Um, and he said, Hey, you kind of got me thinking, you know, I've, I don't have any agreements in place. It's just me. I've been doing this for X number of years. And I acknowledge that I think, you know, he works in an industry that there just isn't a lot of paper trailing uh, with okay. res respect to, to the work. And he shared with me, he, he got burned recently. Um, mm. And so that generated and, he, you know, he's, you know, generated that thought about having agreements in place. And he said, um, you know, he said, thanks, you know, that you've got me thinking back on this again. At one point in his business, he thought about doing them, but again, until you get burned or until you experience that and it really stings, uh -huh. you don't understand the importance of it. And it will cost your business money. My point is if you if you put those agreements in place and you have something that an attorney can lean on or you can even lean on when you're trying to leverage the fact that the person needs to live up to their agreement um, or their 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 side of the agreement, um, it's it's just really vital to have to have those. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Thanks to my experience. Uh, the other thing I'll say is I I do we kind of touched on this, but I think part of what uh, causes people to drag their feet on these type of things is because they think it's a big it's a big cost. And when you're trying to grow a small business and you don't have funds readily available, sometimes it seems when you're you're trying to be strategic and plan where your dollars go that putting it in this, uh, you know, in, in the legal bucket doesn't make sense. But, you know, I think it does. Um, what, you know, if someone is trying to find a lawyer, you know, or a law firm, can you give any tips on how to, how do you start the process? Like, how do you know if you're finding someone that kind of aligns with, with, with what you need? What are some tips you can give me? I think it's similar to how, Michael, you kind of rely on on your business, right? Sometimes a big part of it is referrals. You know, you do you do good work and then you hope that that client will then refer you to other folks. Um, obviously, you also have a web presence, et cetera. And so my recommendation would be for people who are trying to figure out, OK, I know that I want to do this. Um, I want to I want to do X, you know, get X legal advice or, or put into place these certain agreements. Um, where do I start? You know. I would encourage folks if they either know any kind of an attorney, right? They don't necessarily have to be someone that works within this works within this realm. You know, hey, do you know an attorney who could help me? You know, do you know a labor and employment attorney? Do you know a civil, you know, a contracts attorney that I could reach out to? Because then they can say, oh yeah, I do this, you know, person A, and I, I know them to be a good person, or they they have a great reputation. You know, that's that's a really good place place to start kind of just maybe asking around if you know an attorney or you know someone that also um, now obviously Michael anyone who listens to this podcast and who's in the in the um, industry or has this has a particular need involving a lawyer they can ask you hey Michael who who's your attorney it sounds like she's really awesome and could probably help us out so uh, could you give us uh, her information um, that's that's one way right uh, you can also just get you can Google, you can look and see. I mean, there's a lot of reviews out there too, online reviews of folks um, that, that can also assist. If you're in the Columbus area, you can call the Columbus Bar Association and ask them 
um, for, for attorneys. Um, you can also other, if you are in outer line counties, typically there are bar associations there that you can just call up and say, Hey, I have this need. I'm, I'm looking for an attorney. Um, and, and they may even be able to tell you, I'll just say typically law firm, bigger law firm attorneys, um, might be a bit more expensive, but it might be worth, right. You kind of get what you pay for. Um, smaller attorney firms, just as good. It just, they don't have all the overhead and everything. It can probably, uh, uh, charge you a little less, but it kind of just really depends on um, your business needs and what you want to set aside to pay um, an attorney to to be able to generate these documents and, and for you. And right, Michael, it's not just the documents too. It's being able to know that you have that you have that attorney, okay. you have that person that you can just pick up the phone and call. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be that you know you need something specific from them, but you can say, hey, I have a feeling that this is going to happen, yeah. or Hey, I had this interaction. What do you think? It's nice to have that person in your pocket too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, get some good documents in place to lock tight, you know, um, your your engagements, but also like just having that person that you can call. Yeah. So two things that I will say that are a reflection of my experience working with Ice Miller is uh, you guys are a bigger law firm, and the advantage to that from my perspective, is that you've got a lot of people you can partner with. So, you know, you have said things like, you know what, uh, one of my teammates is an expert in this type of law. I'm going to partner with them and I'll, I'm going to get some more information. So there's some flexibility in the relationship because you've got a whole team behind you where you you might not get that if you're with a small firm. And then the other piece of that is um, uh, in terms of, like, like I said, the cost. I mean, I don't, I don't know what what it would look like for a smaller firm. But um, uh, no, I'm sorry, I lost my thought. What I was actually going to say was uh, you're available if I think something's about to go down, right? So, you know, we've all had tough customers and the benefit to having this relationship that's already started, if I'm worried about something, I can call and say, hey, just can you give me some advice here? Uh, I think that this might occur if it doesn't great, but can you give me some suggestions on how to navigate this conversation to maybe try to avoid a potential problem? That has also been super beneficial. Um, now I want to switch gears here a little bit. Uh, as you know, this is primarily for women in paint, but we also just want to talk to badass women who are accomplishing pretty cool things in life. And I certainly throw you in the category. So you're an Iron Man. Uh, I know you don't get embarrassed easily. I mean, I'm not going to talk about our pain experience together, but we are going to talk about you being an Ironman. Talk, tell me, how did you get into that Ironman competition? I know you're competitive. I know these things about you, but why Ironman? And uh, yeah, shed a little light on how you became a world famous Ironman. <laughs> Michael, I know, you know, you, you know, a lot sometimes maybe too much about me um and so i you know i'm a busy person i like to stay busy um i like to fill my time you know every second of every day is is, is typically full i think even one time when i was leaving basketball practice and going to a soccer game on like a wednesday night or something you're like do, do you ever like is there ever like any gap of time <laughs> i'm just like always going from one thing uh to the next which is sort of i guess that that way I approached life was the impetus for how I got involved in Ironmans. I had just finished law school in 2015, of which I was, you know, working full time and going to law school at night, because why not? And once law school was finished, I was like, oh my God, I have all this free time. 
um, what am I going to do? And, you know, my really good friend training partner, Mallory said, Hey, do you want to train for a half Ironman? Um, I didn't know what that was, but I was like, sure. Uh, sounds like it's going to be time consuming. So I'm in, and then it just kind of spiraled from there. You know, I have, I could swim, but was never a swimmer. I, you know, liked running, you know, of course, you know, played basketball and soccer. So just kind of build in and had done a, you know, a number of half marathons and, and then biking, I was like, okay, sure. I can't, you know, whatever. I know how to ride a bike. Right. And then just got involved, started putting the time in, um, you know, me, I'm always about the next, the next best thing. Uh, you know, if I can keep climbing, I will. So did a half Ironman in 2016 and then said, sweet, let's do a full Ironman, um, in, in, uh, 2017. And then did, you know, 10 more half Ironmans, you know, two more Ironmans. And like, there's, likely no, no end in sight for me. I just had the opportunity, very, very fortunate opportunity to compete in Kona uh, just, uh, gosh, two, two weeks ago in the Ironman World Championship uh, race, where actually it was just women. So it was the first time where the Ironman World Championships and, and maybe any Ironman sanctioned race generally was just women racing. So they split up the championships this year. The men were in Nice and the women in Kona. It'll switch next year. The women will be in Nice. But it was an all women's race, which just gave it this, this different feel. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I that's how I got involved. Uh, just, you know, had some time to fill. And, you know, I'm very, very competitive in both my work and my, and my, and my leisure. So that was, and I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so awesome. Um, what, what's your favorite running, biking or swimming? Yeah. So biking, uh, I guess kind of was unexpected that that would be my favorite only because running was what I knew best. Uh, but the biking and, and thankfully it's, it's the longest part of the, of the event, right? So the mm -hmm. for a full Ironman, the swim is 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and then a marathon, a 26.2 run after that. So with with the biking being the longest leg of of the race, um, I guess I'm fortunate to also like that the best. So that's my favorite. So since I can't swim very well, do you think I could ever do an Ironman, or is it should I just take it off the? I also the can't swim line? swim very well. I, I mean. The swim is just the warm up, right? You just need to get in there and like just get through the water. And to some extent, depending on what kind of race you do, you can do a river swim. You don't even have to like you're downstream. You don't got to do much at all. I mean, um, I can doggy paddle with yeah, the just You think I could do it? I think that you would you'd be impressed with okay. the time that you might even put up. I mean, the Chattanooga race Ironman this year had like an insane uh downstream flow, whatever it is, current, current. Um, and, uh, people were finishing in record time. So I think that you'd be just fine. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to keep it on the list of, of ultimate goals. Um, so one thing I always ask everybody on this show is how you take care of yourself. So, uh, we live in this world where the buzzword is self-care, which I don't love. It took me a lot of years to actually realize what that means, but what do you do to take care of yourself so you can show up every day, you can help small business owners like me get all their contracts in order so we stop trying to write them ourselves. You're <laughs> able to go to Hawaii and do an Ironman. What do you do to take care of yourself so that you can keep showing up and stay motivated? You know, and I think this is maybe not a traditional answer, right? But I love working and I love my job. And I think that is like the first part of self-care for me is ensuring that I have a job um, that I love and that I'm excited to show up for. 
Um, so that's kind of part one for me is, is that, you know, I, I love the job. I, I love the people that I work with. I love the clients. And so that's like my first step. Um, and I, and I, and I love working. I, it's, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I love it so much. Um, but then when I'm sick of working, cause I do get sick of working sometimes, you know, I, you know, I'm an extrovert. Um, I don't know, probably not shocking to anyone who's actually also just heard um, this, this conversation, huge extrovert, but there are times when I do like to be an introvert. So I am a big couch binge, Netflix shows, trash shows. I mean, okay. really trashy shows to where I can just like shut my brain uh, completely off. I mean, there's just no thought running through when I'm watching some of those, some of those shows and really just sit and not do anything um, is a really good kind of reset for me. And then truly also doing the exercise, the Ironmans, the biking, the running, the swimming. Um, you know, when I'm in the pool, I can't have my phone because um, I am otherwise attached to it. So that's a good kind of just disconnect and reset uh, for me as well. Um, and and friends. I love hanging out with friends. You know this. Um, so socializing is also, I God, I don't know how I find time to do all of it, but I do. Um, and I love uh, hanging out with with friends friends too. But truly, I mean, just loving my job, loving what I do. Cause I, I mean, it's where I spend most of my time. That's a part mm -hmm. of myself here. Yeah. I think, um, you know, when you are lucky enough to find a profession like you, like me that you love, right. I love what, absolutely love what I do. Um, gosh, it, it is, it is part of the, you know, the sauce that it takes to, to keep moving through life. I mean, I know that there's plenty of people out there who show up every day and hate their job and that's got to be a difficult place to be, but I'm, I'm with you, you know, when you have those, those wins at work and you're excited to show up, I mean, in some, some cases there's nothing better. Uh, do you have any, you know, favorite Netflix shows you'd like to share since. And how widely, broadcast, how widely broadcast is this podcast? <laughs> you know what? I have no shame. I love love is blind. Um, I love ultimatum. Um, but I also like the, you know, the scandal and the how to get away with murder. And the I, you know, I love lawyer shows. Love it. People are like, how do you watch lawyer shows? Yeah. You're a lawyer. I'm like, I love it. It's like the sensationalized have version. Have you seen Suits? You, no, I haven't yet. Um, that was one that just kind of missed, like missed, missed me. Um, but I've had a couple of friends ask you as one. Uh, and then actually yeah. my Ironman, my triathlon coach, she also asked if I watch it. She's like, Suits, is that, is that what it's like to be an attorney? I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Is it, do they seem cool and awesome and successful? Then? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I just wrapped that one up and I often found myself asking during the show, like, is, I need to ask Amy, is this true? Does this really happen? I need to um, watch it. Yeah. So listen, I told you this 30 minutes is going to fly by and it did. We are already wrapping up another show here. Um, a few announcements I need to make. Um, but Amy, before I do that, thank you so much for joining me. This was awesome. Super insightful. The few announcements I, yeah, you got it. The few announcements I need to make, you can uh, check out the Women in Paint Facebook page at Women in Paint. Uh, we've also got our first ever Women in Paint event in Nashville, and I'm sure one, once this airs, we, we might have already completed the event. But look for other events through the PCA. The Women in Paint sector is rocking and rolling, and we've got a lot of cool things uh, coming in the near future to help women succeed in this business. And uh, last but not least, that's it. I'm Michael. Thank you for joining us today. Take care, and we will catch you on the next episode.
Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org. 